Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast on this 23rd of September 2019. I'm your host, Real Joe Quinn. As I discuss the world of sports and pop culture, as always, we are broadcasting, streaming live from my, uh, on my YouTube channel. Podcast will be available anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes after it uh, after the, after this broadcast podcast is over. We will be, of course, um, also. It'll be available um, through Block Talk Radio as well. Anywhere, you know, we'll try to put it out there, you know, 11, 11.30-ish, 11.30, around that, around that time for my Block Talk Radio audience as we get ready for Monday Night Football in the nation's capital with the uh, Washington football team hosting the Chicago Bears. The Bears are 1-1. One one. Of course, Washington is seeking their first victory of the season. They are at 0-2. And, and um before, I mean, you know, this game's going to come down to one thing uh, to me. It's very simple. Washington's ability to run the football. If Washington's able to run the football, they'll have a, they'll have a decent chance. If not, this game can get, will get ugly very quickly. Um, the, the, the Bear defense is still one of the best defenses in the league. I, I think from top to bottom, the best defense in all of football. Um, they can rush the passer. They can stop the run. They can uh, defend the pass. They can do that. That defense is a complete defense. If they are not, if Washington's able, not able to run the football, they have zero chance to win this game. It's just that in case Keenum will take a beating, uh, there's no way they'll be able, to be able to protect him with no running game. So far, Washington's running game through the first two games of the season have been has been non-existent to say the least. You know, think about this for a second. Washington is 0-2, and they have yet to turn over the football. Now, hard it is to be to not to win games when you don't when you don't turn over the football. I mean, that's the that's basically the number one reason why teams lose games in the NFL. But um, it hasn't mattered for in terms of Washington, in terms of the Redskins, they have um, they have just not been able to run the football. I would say the magic number will be anywhere from they need at least 90 to 110 rushing yards. They're not going to go. You're not running for 180 yards, or 150 yards on the Bears. Bears, you can get 90, 90 to 105, 90 to 110. That will do it. That to me will be good enough to. Um, and as long as you, know, of course, you don't turn over the ball because the Bears can, Bears can turn you over uh, at any time on, on any on any offensive possession. So it's going to be a difficult task. Washington is, is five and a half point dogs at home to a team that is not a high scoring team. That's a lot of points for a team that cannot that has not scored the football um, well this year. But again, the Bears, we know the Bears can run the ball. Quarterback is decent, not great. And but again, the Bears can you know the Bears can score twenty one points on defense. Their defense is that legit. Excuse me, is that legit? They can turn you over. We know what type of player Khalil Mack is. They are loaded on that front seven as well as in the back end with guys like Kyle Fuller and, of course, Eddie Jackson. So we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see what happens. Washington looking to, uh, you know, get to one and two and not fall three, four games behind the Dallas Cowboys who are uh, seemingly going to run away with the NFC East division right now. Uh, Dallas has a two-game lead, two, a two-game lead on the Giants and also the Eagles as well, and could have a three-game, really a four-game lead on Washington. Washington loses by virtue of the tie, by virtue of the tiebreaker in terms of the fact that Dallas took out Washington last week. Uh, we'll get to uh, we'll get to some of the league action, but we're gonna um, 
talk about this and hopefully put a bow on one on the Antonio Brown saga, which has, you know, since the, you know, end of last season has, has, you know, really, you know, taken, taken over the NFL into the, uh, into the off season. And now into the regular season, Antonio Brown, of course, was cut by the New England Patriots on Friday uh, afternoon. The Patriots, again, we're not going to tolerate anything from Antonio Brown. Once he sent out those texts to his uh, trainer, his ex-trainer, Brittany Taylor, um, that was that was the last straw for the Patriots. They, they were their organization that wasn't going to tolerate him doing that, him doing something like that when in a in a Patriot uniform. Now again, I'm not going to sit up here and pat the Patriots on the back because he did play a game. He did play one game. When, with all these allegations over his head and with everything that happened in Oakland, everything that happened towards the um, towards the, lat- the, the latter part of his tenure with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. So I'm not, let's not let's not you know completely pat the Patriots on the back for cutting them. They did what they had to do. The Patriots were not going to answer questions about Antonio, even be, even beyond the texting that he those texts that he sent to his ex trainer, which was just plain stupid. They were not going to answer questions all year long about Antonio Brown. That was eventually he was going to get cut. I I said that he wouldn't. He'd probably make it, you know, five or six games. He was there was no way he's going to make it through the entire season with that organization. It just was not going to happen. They were not going to tolerate it. Their organization that is not going to allow one player to dominate the headlines. They don't care. They don't care who outside of Tom Brady. There's only a guy that's allowed to dominate headlines off the field. Uh, and you know his off the field actions are like you know his with his trainer or something that his politics and stuff like that. That's nothing, you know. That's nothing compared to what, of course, what Antonio the type of stuff that Antonio Brown was involved involved with. And there was just no way that the uh, that organization was going to tolerate that over the course of the season. You Belichick was annoyed by the questions he saw on Friday. He cut his presses short. And that was just, you know, they would have been answering those type of questions about him all season long. As long as he was on that team, they were going to answer questions about Antonio Brown, non-football related questions. That is not how that organization functions. It just, they, they don't do, Patriots don't do distractions. They don't. You know, you're talking about an organization that cut a guy after he had like a 200-yard rushing game. I forgot the running back's name, but he this guy was late. And this was like, I want to say about eight or nine years ago. Maybe even longer. Guy had a 200-yard rushing game. He was late to a meeting. Okay, the following he was late to a meeting or a practice, and he got cut. That's the type of organization. That's that's those are the type of. Now again, the guy wasn't a great player, but still, he was coming off a 200-yard rushing game, and um, the Patriots cut him with no regard. So that is the type of organization that they are. Um, you know, Antonio Brown. Listen, character still matters at the end of the day. You know, we we live in a society, especially a sports society, where talent, especially the NFL, where more where more times than not, talent will rule out. Guys give get third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances if they're talented. If they can rush the passer, if they can catch a football, if they can score some touchdowns, if they are above average to great. But in you know, but you still have the character still matters. I mean, this guy, you know, you read if you read that SI article. This guy is one of the worst people in football. I mean, literally one of the worst people in football with some of the stuff that he was pulling. Oh, and, you know, not paying back business business partners or people that work for him. 
just doing dumb, immature shit, like, you know, farting in the physical, the guy who was doing, uh, was, I don't know, was massaging him, was doing some physical therapies, farting in his face, just, just dumb, immature nonsense that he was doing. Uh, you heard about the stories last summer, tossing furniture out, out of, you know, out of an apartment or out of a hotel that he was staying at. Just a, a, just a number of things Antonio Brown has been um, involved with over the last couple of years. Even going again, and that article depicted stuff that was happening when he was, you know, his days in uh, Florida when he was growing up. So everybody, kind of, there were people around him that were kind of coming out, talking about the type of, type of person he is and, not one, I didn't hear one positive thing. I mean, if somebody, normally, in a case of character, somebody's going to say something good about you. I didn't hear one positive thing in that article. And that wasn't an article that was like a witch hunt. That was an article that was depicting people that had been around him, people who knew him, people that had done business with him. And I, like, like I said, I rarely, you will rarely see a more negative article about an individual. At least it'd be one positive thing. That was not the case in that, that particular SI article that was well-researched and had a, had a number of sources. And again, this is this is the karma that has come back on Antonio Brown. You know, when you shit on people, when you have low character, you get what you deserve in, in, in a lot of cases. And he's, he's getting exactly what he deserves. He deserves to be out of the league. He deserves to be sitting on his ass, not doing anything, not making any money. And you think about how crazy you have to be to cost yourself almost $40 million. And you think about that. He has cost himself the $29 million with Oakland, the $9 million with New England, which, by the way, a lot of people inside the NFL believe that he has a, that he's going to recruit the $9, the $9 million from New England. So maybe that might be some money that he gets back. But as of right now, as of right now, he's cost himself $38 million. So, again, there's no telling. I, I don't see him playing this year. Eventually, I think he, I, you know, it is the NFL. And again, they all, all it takes is one team. Someone else will give him a shot. I think someone else in next next season will give him a shot. It'll be a bargain basement contract. It'll be a a incentive laden contract. Something that that is that is kind of low risk, low risk, high reward. One of those type deals, like a one year, you know. Eight million dollars, where he has, if he does, if he doesn't keep his nose clean, then they can just, they will cut him, and he won't get get his money. Some one of those type of contracts, but he's done getting big money. They, he, like he will never receive a, a another big contract ever. That's over with. I don't think his days of playing football are over with, but he will never receive another major contract. So he just that he just cut that cord, and, and that it's going to be the end of that from that standpoint. But. Hopefully, this will be the last that we hear about Antonio Brown. He's been in the headlines way too much. Uh, the league will move on. The league doesn't need Antonio Brown. And uh, the New England Patriots don't need Antonio Brown. So, hopefully, we'll see. We'll, this will be the last that we hear about that uh, about that situation. In regards to around the league, uh, yesterday, it was, it was a so-so day in the NFL. Um, we had a couple good games. The, the quality, the level of play was not high at all. I mean, it really wasn't. Um, you had some good individual performances by some quarterbacks. We'll get to, of course, Daniel Jones, Mahomes. But we'll begin with the guy who I feel like is not only the top quarterback in the league, but the top player in the league, Patrick Mahomes, doing what he does, lighting up the Baltimore defense for 374 yards and three touchdowns as Kansas City took out Baltimore 33-28. To me, this game was not 
not as close as the score indicated. I never got a sense that Baltimore was going to win this game. I don't know what what Harbaugh, what uh, John Harbaugh is doing, going for two when they scored the first touch, when they when they scored the first touchdown. I, I just don't understand it. It was dumb. They were chasing points the rest of the game. You think about it, the score was supposed to be thirty-three to thirty-one. Okay. So instead of, you know, having the ball and going, having to score a touchdown, they would have had the ball and uh, with the best field goal kick on earth uh, with a chance to win it with a field goal. It made zero sense to me. Zero sense. I, I, I just don't get it. You know, we used to see Tomlin do it with Pittsburgh, just going for two for no reason. No re- In the first quarter. It's the dumbest, it, is the, it is the dumbest strategy that a coach can do chasing points in the first quarter. You don't chase points in the first quarter. You don't go for two until you absolutely have to go for two. Until you have to go for two. So they were chasing points for the first for the uh, rest of the rest of the game. They had, you know, two failed two, uh, two failed two point conversions. Baltimore was able to run the ball. It was over well over nine hundred yards of total offense. Baltimore can't say you couldn't stop Baltimore from running. Baltimore couldn't stop Kansas City from throwing the ball or, or running the ball for that standpoint. Kansas City had well over 500 yards of offense. And again, and Baltimore is an above-average defense. There is no defense on in the NFL that can deal with the Kansas City, Kansas City offense. None. It's just like you put they put 33 on Baltimore. They can put they can put 30 on anybody in the league. There's nobody. There's no and again, mind you, they're doing this without Tyreek Hill. Think about that. He's one of the most dynamic. Uh, players, receivers in the league, one of the fastest receivers in the league. So when he gets back, that's just going to be another, you know, he's going to take the offense to a whole nother level. They're going to be, they're going to be putting 40 and 50 on people uh, once he returns. So Baltimore falls to 2-1, and one. Kansas City falls to 3-0. and oh. uh, You know, Lamar Jackson didn't, it wasn't terrible. Again, that game showed you the difference between a guy who is the top player in the league Versus a guy who you know still has a ways to go. I mean, they, they were they were, you know people are trying to hype this rivalry up. It's not a rivalry right now between Jackson and Mahomes. Mahomes is heads and shoulders above Lamar Jackson. It's not even close. That's not a knock on Lamar Jackson. He just again, Mahomes does things outside and within the pocket that with, with you know with throwing the ball that Lamar Jackson just frankly cannot do. He just frankly cannot do so. Um, again, I, I don't think anybody in their right mind believed that Mahomes, that 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 Jackson is on Mahomes' level. But if you did, you you know you learned yesterday that that's not the case. Great win for New Orleans uh, yesterday, thirty-three twenty-seven over Seattle. They got a you know touchdown of their special teams. Bridgewater was efficient, despite the fact that Seattle outgained uh, New Orleans five five fifteen to two sixty-five. Um, Russell Wilson had a well over 400 yards passing, but Seattle could not run the ball, uh, could not run the ball whatsoever. New Orleans, uh, again, that's a big-time win on the road in a tough place to win. 33-27, but, you again, similar to the Kansas City game, this game was 27-7. You never got the, you never got the idea that Kansas City, excuse me, that, uh, that New Orleans was going to win this game. New Orleans was in control of this game basically from the start. Again, Bridgewater with a week under his belt in terms of in terms of getting first team reps and practice and, and, and practices looked good, played well. Again, Bridgewater has talent. Bridgewater is not a backup quarterback. Bridgewater could start for 
a number of teams in this league. He's not a backup. Um, injuries has the only thing that has detailed it that, that has derailed his career has been injuries. So uh, Bridgewater played well. Uh, they again, New Orleans. This is like stealing money for New Orleans. I mean, to have the, you know for Breeze to be out for at least six weeks. This is a great way to start off this uh, this stretch of games. Next week they have their home to Dallas, a Dallas team that I have not been impressed with, uh, despite their three and record, and and did not. We'll you know we'll talk about them later, but they did not play well last day against Miami. But nice, great win for uh, New Orleans. Probably, I feel probably the most impressive win of the day, uh, considering that it was that it was on the road. Detroit uh, takes out Philly 27-24. This was a sloppy performance by the Eagles. Turnovers, uh, penalties, just a, you know, just, a, you know, giving up a, a touchdown on special teams. Just, you know, type of performance that, you know, you can, that you can't have, at, that you should not have coming off a loss, number one, and being at home. Detroit is 2-0-1. Give Detroit credit, even though Stafford was not spectacular. Was was not spectacular. I don't even think Detroit even played great. To be honest with you, Detroit just made key plays at key times. To me, this was about Philadelphia just being sloppy. They were just sloppy. They weren't. They just weren't crisp. And again, this is uh, this is not. You know, Doug Peterson. I think is a very good coach, but I you I expected more out of Philadelphia coming off a loss. Now again, I know they don't have Deshaun Jackson. They're banged up. But at home, they're normally great at the link. At the link, but uh, they were they were sloppy yesterday. So bad loss to Philadelphia. Nice win for Detroit. Detroit again two zero and one. Philadelphia falls to one and two. Green Bay over Denver twenty seven to sixteen. This was all about the Green Bay defense. They did and they did just enough off- offensively to kind of uh, keep Denver at bay. The Green Bay's defense had six sacks, forced three turnovers. We know Denver's offense. Outside of Lindsey, the running back is is not any good. Uh, their defense has taken a notch. It's not what it used to be, of course. Von Miller has, I think, has lost a step or has lost a half a step, if not more. Um, Green Bay, you know, had, wasn't spectacular, but did, did just enough offensively. I still am not overwhelmed with the Green Bay offense. Now, Green Bay's defense is has been turning people over left and right. They lead the league in forced turnovers. I think they forced eight turnovers through three games. Uh, again, they're getting to the quarterback. Rodgers, we know, does not turn over the football. That's one of his great attributes besides all the physical talent. He does not turn over the football. Wasn't great yesterday. He missed some throws. That's one thing That's one thing about Rodgers has, that has slipped. His accuracy is not what it was. His accuracy has slipped just a, just, a, just a smidge, not what it was. Now, you can attribute that somewhat to the receivers not being able to get open at the level that they were early in his career, but he missed he missed some throws that were guys that were wide open. He missed at least two or three throws that that vintage Aaron Rodgers would not miss. But with that being said, he did he did his job. Did not turn over the football. They got enough out the running game, um, and they again this was about their defense um, just dominating the um, Denver Broncos. Green Bay goes into next week's game against Philadelphia at three and zero. And playing and, and playing well, the Giants get their first win of the season, 32-31. Uh, they needed a late second, last second miss from uh, from the kicker out, you know, from the Tampa Bay kicker. And Tampa Bay has been cursed for, with kickers for the last, I would say, five years, four to five years, ever since they had uh, Connor Barth, who was the last quality kicker uh, from Tampa Bay. They, they seemingly after him could, cannot find a kicker. 
that their lives depended on it. Uh, this you know was a this was a bittersweet loss for for Denver, excuse me, for New York, for uh, for the Giants because on one hand, Daniel Jones was phenomenal, three hundred thirty six yards passing, four total touchdowns, but you lose Saquon Barkley four to eight weeks with the with the with a high ankle sprain. So uh, you don't want to lose a player of his caliber, but you did get uh, a great performance out of your, out of your hope to be future franchise quarterback. I what I need though is I need the Giants, the Giant brass, the coach, the general manager. Please calm down. Please, I mean it's one game. You know, <laughs> the Giant. I mean the Giant. Listen, the Giant, Shermer and Gettleman were so giddy and so happy after the game with the. I mean talking to the press and. Yeah, you know, basically, you know, we told you so and did a it's one game. Please kind of like calm down. Please calm down. Uh, like let's, let's hold the brakes. Let's hold the brakes. Like they need to take they need to take some uh take a a lesson in in, in terms of from two from two things that are New York related. Brownie Nagel, okay? Brownie Nagel and a, a Bill Parcells a Bill Parcell saying is let's not put the the anointing the anointing oil on them yet. Let's not put them in can. So they need to take those New York two New York lessons, football lessons, uh, in terms of that. Again, he made some plays. He made some plays outside the pocket. He made some plays with his legs. He threw the ball well. But that that, that Timber defense is awful. Number one, they can't stop anyone. Okay. And number two is one game. So we'll see. Uh, of course, uh, Washington will see Daniel Jones up close and personal uh, next week. Indianapolis gets a nice win over Atlanta, 27-24. Jacoby Brissett had a big day, 300 yards passing. Atlanta's hard to figure out. I mean, Atlanta goes 16 penalties for 128 yards. You know, Atlanta and Philadelphia, even, so, even more so Atlanta, you know, coming off that win against Philadelphia, you figure they have some momentum carrying into next week. You no, know, again, you play playing a backup quarterback. Jacoby Brissett is a backup quarterback, unlike Teddy Bridgewater. But uh, giving Indianapolis credit, we know Indianapolis is going to be a pain a pain to deal with for teams. They are not going to roll over and not play hard just because there's no Andrew Luck. But uh, it's a tough loss for Atlanta. Like Atlanta just shot themselves in the foot. There's no way a team with that many veterans and with that much talent, should ever get 16 penalties in the game. No team in the NFL should ever get 16 penalties in the game. That's just embarrassing. You know, they they are, you know, they'll tell you, anybody will tell you that watches football that knows anything about football, 100 yards equals seven points. 100, so they give they give 127, 128 yards in terms of penalty yards. That's just that's inexcusable. It should never happen. And, um, you know, right now Atlanta falls to one and two. I'm giving Indianapolis a lot of credit. Um, a lot of credit because they have fought tooth and nail every single game. They played hard every single game. Again, could have been could have came into the season feeling sorry for themselves. That that has not been the case whatsoever with the Colts. So they take they get the win uh twenty seven twenty four over the Falcons. Uh the Rams over the over Cleveland twenty to thirteen. This game was this was a bad football game. Uh, I don't think either team either team played well. The Rams did just enough to win. Um, Baker Mayfield had a late interception uh, that that sealed the game for uh, for the Rams. This it, again, it was not a bad interception. And I'll tell you why it wasn't a bad interception. Number one, he was running for his life. So if you want to, the reason why that play was 
that, that the interception was created was because of the pass rush from the Rams. So give them, don't knock him for the interception. Now, I'm not saying Blake and Mayfield played well because he didn't last night, like 18 for 36. But that last interception was not it was not his fault. It was a great play by the Rams. It was a, first of all, it was a great interception because there was a receiver in the vicinity of where he threw the ball. Number one, number two, the, the, that interception was generated. And this is one of the most important things in a football, in football in terms of winning and losing games. It is fourth quarter pass rush. Fourth quarter pass rush will decide a lot of games in this season or in any any season in the NFL. So the Rams were able to generate a pass rush on the most important play of the game. You have a, a quarterback running for his life. He has to basically throw a mini Hail Mary and game set match. So I'm, I'm not going to, I don't say, I'm not going to say it was an awful throw. That It was the only throw that he could make. And you know, I'm telling you, there was a play to be made by the Cleveland receiver if the Ram, if the Ram player would not have made a spectacular interception. That was a great interception, diving on the ground. So I think, People kind of overreacted to that interception as far as as far as ba- trying to connect that with Baker Mayfield's performance. Now again, Baker Mayfield's performance was not good, but I'm not gonna go crazy over that particular uh, over that uh, interception. Anyway, the Rams, Cleveland falls at one and two. The Rams go improve to three and three and zero, oh, but they have not been impress- impressive in any of their wins. To be honest with you, and we care. We I don't think Carolina is any good. Um, so. You know, New Orleans game, that, that goes with an asterisk because, you know, you lose to Breeze. So, you know, we know the Rams have talent, but they have yet in bugging. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be not playing well and be 3-0. So that's the bottom line. Dallas, Minnesota, Carolina, New England, and Buffalo all, of course, were in the victory. All, of course, won games as expected. Uh, Buffalo's 3-0. Dallas is 3-0. You have as of, after three weeks of uh, after three weeks, even regardless of what happens tonight, you have three. You have eight undefeated teams after three weeks. That's a lot of teams that are undefeated, uh, which basically says the which basically says there are halves and half nots in the NFL. There are a lot of bad teams in the NFL this year. A lot of bad teams. So a lot of teams are going to be uh, going. You're going to have a few teams with some gaudy records over the course of the season. So again, you have Monday Night Football, which you know, as we are recording, has already started. Washington, Chicago, at the top of the program, I, I think, and I think this game will be decided on at the line of scrimmage in terms of whether or not Washington can run the football. Washington cannot run the football; they have no chance. As far as the college football goes, on Saturday you had a lot of big games. Uh, the Georgia Notre Dame game was was a good game. Notre Dame had plenty of opportunities in the first half to put points on the board. Second half was dominated by Georgia. Um, I think Georgia, I don't think the game, I, I didn't walk away from that game being impressed with Notre Dame. I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Notre Dame can play with the big boys. No, they can't. They can't play with Clemson. They can't play with Alabama. Georgia did not play well. And Georgia had a number of injuries in that game, especially to their, to their defense. They had a number of injuries to that game. Notre Dame, there's no way that Notre Dame can play with any of these big teams if they're not able to run the football. Georgia was able to win that game, win that game with their basically with their C game. They won that game with their C minus game. They did not play. Georgia did not play well, and they dominated in the second half. So I'm not, I was not as in, I'm not going to say that I was impressed with Notre Dame's performance. Notre Dame had plenty of opportunities in the first half to where if you are a big time team, if you are a national championship caliber team, they would have taken advantage of those opportunities. 
LSU, Alabama, Clemson takes what took with taking advantage of those opportunities. Notre Dame was not able to. And the fact that Notre Dame cannot run the football, you're not beating Alabama, you're not beating Clemson, not beating Georgia if you if you are unable to run the football. So I'm again, I think Georgia is a top four team. Georgia will be in contention for a national championship. Notre Dame, I don't think Notre Dame will be a is a playoff team. Uh, Auburn, Texas A&M, Auburn. Again, that was a game that was not as close as the score indicated. The one thing I took away from that game, we is the fact that Auburn does not throw the ball well enough to to play with Alabama, Clemson, even Georgia. You're not going to run the ball. You're not going to be three yards in a cloud of dust on any of those teams. You have to be able to, you have to have balance to play with any of those teams. Auburn had 106 yards passing against a Texas A&M team that you should be able to throw the football on. So that's the thing that stood out to me about the that about the A&M Auburn game is the fact that Auburn was not able to throw the football against that against A&M. And A&M's defense is not very is not very good to me. So keep that in mind for the future when Auburn starts playing the likes of, you know, when they play, uh, start playing some of the heavyweights in the SEC. Wisconsin just completely destroyed Michigan. Michigan, we know, are, we know Michigan was not any good this year. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen, since a, since a Michigan team got physically manhandled the way they did. The game was even, at 35-14, it really wasn't even that close. It was not even that close. Wisconsin outrushed Michigan 359 to 40. I repeat it, 359 to 40. When the last time you seen a Michigan team get dominated on a line of scrimmage like that? Again, every time I watch Michigan play, I don't understand how you could be at the University of Michigan and not be able, not and not have a five-star top-flight quarterback. I just don't get it. I mean, the guy, the quarterback can't play. I mean, he's not, he's not any good. They have they have top flight flight athletes at the, at the skill position players, except for quarterback. So I and Jim Harbaugh has been known to be a great, you know, the guy developed Colin Kaepernick. Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick has some of their best years under Jim Harbaugh. I don't understand how Jim Harbaugh cannot recruit quarterbacks. It's a it's a great mystery of college football how he cannot record cannot recruit quarterbacks. But give Wisconsin credit. We know Michigan is it will be a non-factor in the Big Ten. It will be an absolute non-factor. Look overall, overall in terms of college football, the, the SEC is just the top of the SEC is, is is just ridiculous. I mean, Alabama, LSU, LSU has been LSU has been the most impressive team in college football this year. I'm not saying that they're best. They're the best team. I still say Clemson, Alabama, then LSU. But in terms of just the way LSU is scoring on people, they're putting 60, 50, 55, 60 points on everybody. I cannot wait to see LSU play. Um, LSU go against Florida. I can't wait to see LSU against Alabama. I really, I can't. That's of course LSU Alabama will be a will be a prime time game. But LSU is just is just. I mean, the quarterback is just throwing throwing touchdowns left and right. Um, the, again, the top of the SEC. You talk about Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Auburn, and Florida. Those five teams could play with anyone. Now, again. I got to see more out of Florida's offense, but that defense is, is, is as good as any defense in the country. Their defense alone will keep them in any game. 
So um, as we head into uh, October, um, the SEC at, is, is very much top heavy and we'll be certainly looking forward to some of those top match, those big time matchups uh, in the near future. Big episode of Power last night, uh, King's Gambit, which is a reference to a uh, is to to the open to an opening of a chess move, uh, which set that set the tone of the, set the tone of the whole episode with uh, Tyreek and Effie and, and their whole ordeal. First of all, you know I love the Proctor character. The Proctor character, um, I, I think Jerry Jerry Farrar did a tremendous job with that character, going trans you know going from turtle. In entourage to that character, um, but he had to go. I mean, he was making too many mistakes. I, you know, you're going to see a lot of these ancillary pieces, ancillary characters get knocked off because they want you. They want to shift the focus to Tommy, Ghost, um, Tasha, Tariq. Right? They, I mean, the focus is going to be squarely on about four, about four or five Dre about four or five main characters. So not a lot of these characters are going to be getting knocked, like characters like, uh, again, I can see Keaton, you know, uh, Lala's, she's going to be gone soon. Uh, Proctor, I mean, they can, they might even take out somebody like Cooper Sacks or like a lot of those characters, those uh, supporting characters are going to get, are going to get knocked off. Proctor, you saw this coming even last week. Uh, this week he made a number of mistakes. I mean, like, I mean, come on, man, you can't, you can't let the feds in your house without a warrant. I mean, he's a lawyer. He should have known that better than anybody. He did not have to let them in his house at all. Like I would have had you, you had to show me a warrant to let me to, uh, for you to come in my house. Then the whole idea, and this is where, this is where the right, you have to get the writing credit. Proctor is not a criminal. He's not a criminal. He is a, he's a lawyer, he's a crooked lawyer, but he's not a real life criminal. There's no way in the world that you're going to choose or if you're a cold-blooded criminal, you're going to choose not telling your daughter versus ratting on Tommy, a guy who you know, as soon as he finds that information out, he's going to kill you. So I think the writing was true to the character from that standpoint. Uh, as far as Effie and Tariq, I don't know who she's working for. I don't she's not a, she's not a fed. I think that that's another one thing about power that's bothered me is there's too many storylines. Now, some of these storylines are, are going to get pushed back to the uh, to the sequel that's coming out. The Ghost Book of the Book of Power Ghost to something. It's called Ghost Book of Power, something like that. It's a sequel that, that's going to take place 48 hours after the season finale in 2020. But regards to that, it's too many side. It's too many extra storylines. You have you know Effie now. Yeah, I wonder about who she's working for. We have this Zig character who's, who's trying to, it was extorting Tasha. Uh, you also have Tasha with the dude, uh, the dude from last week, what's his name? Q. We don't know what his deal is. So it's, it's, they have too many storylines, too many storylines going on. Even, even though there are about, even though there are 10 episodes left in the season, there's still too many storylines to me. Just right, they zero in, zero in on like three or four storylines. That would be fine. Uh, as far as Tommy Ghost and Vincent, that whole ordeal, there are a lot of thoughts that Tyreek might be playing. That might be, you know, using Tommy and Ghost as his pawns. I don't know if Tyreek is that smart at this point. Uh, I think that might be giving him too much credit. I think he just was just completely just dumb. Try to play somebody, you know. Try to try to play somebody who was already deep in the game, who's who's been in the game in terms of Vincent and got burnt. So, I, I don't. I'm not giving time. Again, I I can get 
that Tyreek is going to be one of the centerpieces of of the spinoff. He's not going to be the leading character. That's still going to be uh, Ghost Amari Hardwick. But I think, you know, these mistakes that Tyreek is making are mistakes that he should be making. He's an 18-year-old, 16-year-old kid who's, who's new to the drug game. So overall, I was fine with the episode, the violence. That's power at its best. You know, double crossing, some of the stuff that happens, power as that's all fine with the episode. Uh, we'll see how they kind of finagle all these moving parts as we head, you know, and try to with this kidnapping. We again, we know, I, we know Ghost and Tommy are not going to kill each other. We just, we know that. We know they're not, they're not going to kill each other. If, if Tommy is going to die, it's somebody's going to be the hands of somebody else. It's not going to be the lot of hands of, 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 of Ghost. So we understand that. So I'm not even frustrated by the. I'm not even frustrated anymore about the Tommy versus Ghost. We know it's just it's not a legitimate. It's not something that's real. They neither one of them are gonna kill each other. So overall, I was fine with the episode. We can always pick stuff pick stuff apart in regards to power. Um, but at least the episodes are watchable. Those first two episodes of the season were frankly were not watchable. So the last three have been solid episodes. Not great. Now I heard a lot of people. I heard a lot of people saying this was a top five power episode. Calm down. It's not. It's not even a top ten power episode of all time, let alone top five. This was a lot of violence. We saw, you know, one of the starring characters die. A guy who we expected to die. It's not like somebody major. It's not like Tommy or Ghost or Tasha die. So let's calm down on on that. But something to look forward to in uh, episodes, episode six, as you now have as Tyreek, as his actions. The one thing that'd be fascinating, putting Tyreek aside, is you're gonna have Ghost, Tyreek, and Tasha all selling drugs at the same time in the drug game at the same time. Ghost is back. It's gonna have, it's gonna be back in it. Tasha's gonna be back in it. So they are being true to who they are. They're drug dealers at the end of the day. Tasha, you're not, you know, Tasha. Not you know it's not legitimate. Ghost, you're not a politician, you're not a club owner. At the end of the day, you're a drug dealer. And so that that to me is consistent with with what with who and what those characters are. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. As always, you can catch this podcast on uh, my YouTube channel, Real Deal Podcast, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple, Spotify. We are everywhere. So there's no excuse not to find us. This is season 12 of the Real Deal podcast. Tell me like it is with no apologies. Thanks for listening. I'm out.